Welcome to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors, and if you want to know more about my company, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. My co-hosts tonight are Brad and Carrie Hoppy with Musky Mayhem Tackle, and if you want to know more about their company, check out MuskyMayhemTackle.com. Our guest tonight is going to be Luke Ronestrand. Luke guides primarily out of Vermilion Dam Lodge on Lake Vermilion in Minnesota. He also guides on Mille Lacs, and Luke is pretty much a big fish magnet, so... We had a few people that want to know more about big fish. They don't want to talk to wimpy guides from Wisconsin. They want to know about some hefty duty guides from Minnesota. We have access to that, and we're going to make that happen tonight. Brad, Kerry, how are you guys doing today? Doing great, Jeff. The world is interesting right now, but we're still trying to conduct business as uh, our shop is in our backyard. I agree. As I mean, I hope that as of right now, when we're recording this, we can still ship baits. So I hope that continues. I don't know for how long, but if we can ship them, we're still going to ship them. So that's that's how that's going right now. Even if we get to the point where we can't ship them, we'll ship them as soon as we can ship them. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I know I've been pushing out orders as quick as I can right now, just hoping that things don't get shut down. Like, I mean, some people are literally waiting, like some people have tracking numbers within 10 minutes of them ordering because if I'm in the shop and I can pack it and get it out yet, I've been busting them out as quick as we can. But, you know, this is Friday. Uh, what is it? Friday, the 20th of March. So, you know, we never know exactly what's going to happen from day to day. Things, I mean, obviously anybody that's paying attention right now knows that news changes eh, pretty much every hour and a half. So let's just hope that, you know, we don't have any big changes in the next little while and things can still flow. So as far as Backlash Podcast, if you have found us once, you can probably find us again. But if you're looking for multiple places to find us, you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, and a couple other places. But Brad and Carrie, you want to talk a little bit about our YouTube channel also? Yeah, for sure, Jeff. I mean, something that uh, Backlash Podcast decided to do was was create a YouTube channel, and we did it for a couple different reasons, really. I mean, one, you can start hearing some of our podcasts right on YouTube, if that's uh, part of the equation for you. But, you know, secondly, and probably most importantly, is that we recorded a how to mount your side imaging transducer on a fiberglass boat. And with that, Matt Seifert did the did the work and we basically have uh, filmed that and edited it and it's available out on YouTube right now on that channel. And with that being said, we have now recorded also uh, how to mount a side imaging transducer on your aluminum boat. So that will be coming in the near future. Um, we'll keep you posted on what that all means, but uh, I think we're planning on doing other content for that channel as we continue to grow with this podcast. I believe that's the goal. We'll see what happens, you know, one day at a time, I guess, right now. That's pretty much the model. I mean, uh, the other thing, too, is I don't think we talked about yet was this is episode 52, which I think if I'm correct, there's 52 weeks in a year. So this would be like the one year anniversary, even though it's not technically the one year anniversary, because we've in the beginning, you know how it was. We were doing podcasts daily, it seemed like, and pushing them out quicker. But then obviously business picked up and things got slowed down a little bit. Not slowed down. We've never missed a week yet. So, and we don't have any plans to do that anytime soon. So anybody that wants to know what's up, as long as they don't ban me talking to Carrie and talking to a guest, we're going to continue to put out podcasts as same schedule as normal. Every single Wednesday we'll have a podcast. 
And but I think there's going to be a chance that we're going to have a little bit of downtime. Hopefully not a lot, but a little bit. And I know we've talked about it before. We're going to start putting out a few more bonus episodes as well. They might not be, you know, a full one hour to an hour and 15 minutes. They might be closer to 45 minutes or half an hour. We might get some, I don't know, say lesser quality guests, but maybe some lesser known guests and uh, start putting out a few more episodes too, just to try to keep, just try to keep everybody in a, in a good mood and everybody just, you know, just try to keep everybody distracted as much as possible. Cause I know you know, we're all in it together. This isn't an easy time for any of us. I would concur. It's it's scary, but you know, the the big thing is is be safe out there and move forward. You know, I, I'm looking forward to hopefully having an end to this at some point soon. Absolutely, I know we all are. I know that you know. There's obviously much like our listeners. There's so many thoughts that run through our head daily about different scenarios and different things, and it'd be nice to know which path we're on and how things go, but. Until things change, I guess we just this is the new this is the new normal for the time being, and we're just going to make the best of it and keep talking about fishing to try to keep everybody try to keep your minds distracted a little bit. For sure, and I'd say a positive attitude is it's part of the equation in musky fishing. It's probably the same equation when it comes to life in these times. I hundred percent agree. Speaking of positive attitudes, one dude we know for sure has a positive attitude about catching muskies and does a lot of it and puts a lot of big fish in the boat is Luke Ronestrand. I think we should go get Luke on the horn and get on with uh, today's conversation. Let's do it. Our guest for today is Luke Ronestrand. Luke primarily guides out of Lake Vermilion and the Vermilion Dam Lodge. He also does a little bit on Mille Lacs. I know that uh, he's definitely caught some big fish in his career and that's hopefully what we're going to focus on today. We had a few people asking about, you know, tips and tactics and dive into some guides that catch big fish. So we went right to the source and got the guy that we know for sure catches big fish. So Brad and Carrie and Luke are going to have a conversation. I'm going to pretty much butt out of it because I'm a Wisconsin guy. We don't catch big fish in Wisconsin. Luke, thank you very much for taking some time out of your schedule. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm uh, definitely looking forward to talking about some big muskies here. You know, it's been a it's been a long time since we've been fishing, and it's right around the corner. And with uh, some of the stuff going on, this is going to be a great conversation. I absolutely agree. So, Luke, first time guest on the podcast. Typically, we go down the road of background story on you, kind of talk about you know where you fish, what you do, what got you into muskies. You know, just sort of let guys know maybe how they can get in touch with you if they decide they wanted to book a trip with you or you know whatever. So if you could, once you start there, and then we'll uh, we'll start talking about big fish after that. All right, sounds good, man. Um, well, I got my start musky fishing. My parents had a lake home on the Holcomb Flowage in Wisconsin um, since I was really young, about ten years old. That being a lake with muskies, uh, we didn't start musky fishing out there, but just with bass and walleye and pike fishing, we started encountering a few. And uh, when I was about ten or eleven years old, my dad hooked a really big musky. He got hooked. And uh, pretty much muskies were the only thing that he thought about. And I would just go out in the back of the boat and throw some some bass spinners around and some crankbaits for walleyes and that and just kind of watch him, you know, get a little bit better at it and have some more action. And then next thing you knew, I was uh, I was out there chucking with him. I would say my first muskies that I ever caught muskie fishing were out of the Holcomb area. And then uh, we started going to Canada when I was about 15 years old. And uh, I caught my first Canadian muskie when I was 15. And then my first muskie over 40 inches, I caught when I was 16 years old out of the Winnipeg River. 
we moved from Wisconsin to the Minneapolis area in 1987, so in second grade. And so I've lived in Minnesota almost my entire life, just with being at the right age and the, the rise of the, you know, the Minnesota fishery from the stocking. I got to experience some uh, tremendous fishing, and I want to say about 19 years old, I, I knew I wanted to be or wanted to do whatever I could do to get out on the water every single day. At about that age, I decided that I wanted to be a guide, and I just started, you know, just fishing, fishing my butt off. Any spare time, I was running up to Malak and uh, running up to Vermillion. I want to say that I took my first paying guide trip when I was about 25 years old. I want to say, no, maybe I was like 24. I just, I sent it, and I got together, and we're talking, and he just he told me to, you know, if it was something that I wanted to do, to just go for it. And I, I guess kind of the rest is history. I was lucky enough to uh, start guiding on Malax and Vermillion when they were amazing, and then uh, got the Brad invited me out by him and Carrie, I want to say like around 2006, and I got to experience the Miltona area. And then the, I want to say from like 06 through um, 2010, I was fishing out west. I was fishing uh, Minnetonka a bunch. I was fishing Malax a bunch, Vermillion a bunch. And then in uh, 2011, I made Vermillion my full-time lake. Still fish uh, Malax a little bit in the fall. But I mean, the rest is kind of history. I've been up on Vermilion. I want to say this is going to be my my ninth year out of uh, Vermilion Dam Lodge. So it's kind of where I'm at now. How about Vermilion? That kind of become the landing zone, if you will. Vermilion became kind of the landing zone one because of it's just uh, an amazing body of water, um, and then also my. Uh, Kind of my relationship with the Vermilion Dam Lodge, they've kind of, um, Ed and Marty have kind of turned into, turned into my family, away from my family. But uh, Vermilion is uh, one of the best, you know, big musky destinations on the planet. But it's also a really amazing lake in that it's basically like five lakes in one. And uh, they're always biting somewhere out there from the east end of the lake to the west end of the lake. It fishes quite a bit differently. So it's uh, just as, as somebody that's out there every day, you can never... You never get bored. It never gets old fishing on Vermilion. The fish in there are incredible. I still think there's very few places on the planet that are better for, you know, expecting to catch 53 to 56 inch muskies. And uh, the, the stuff that happens out there with the forge, the Cisco's, the white fish, the bug hatches, it's just never ending. It's, you're always thinking. As far as Malax goes, there's arguably. I mean, no better place in the world to, you know, to, to potentially catch, you know, the biggest muskie that swims in Lake Malax. I would totally agree with that. So, Luke, aside from the guiding aspect, how else do they find out about you throughout the course of the year? I mean, are you writing articles, doing seminars? Where can they find you also? I mean, in the wintertime, I think I know I've seen you at sports shops or sports shows working the Thorn Brothers booth. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about your off-the-water endeavors, too? I do try and work about work as many events as I can in the Midwest for uh, for Thorn Brothers. I still really enjoy the the sports show scene. I, I really get a kick out of actually like getting to shake people's hands and, and have uh, you know like in person conversations with them. Um, that's still something I look forward to doing every winter. I've been a contributing uh, writer for Muskie Hunter now for quite a few years. Once in a while, I have, if I have time. I'll do some uh, some TV stuff and also some YouTube stuff, but uh, I try you know I try to do as about as much as I have time for. I guess I also do 
uh, dabble a little bit in uh, some musky tournaments, and then I fish a few bass tournaments as well. So one thing I know about Luke Ronestrand is, and you know, we've we've fished together. Man, I I don't even know how long it's been, Luke. It's too orange, probably. 2003, yeah. 2004, somewhere is I think when we started fishing together. You know, different things, guiding together, and so on and so forth. One of the things that always amazes me about you, Luke, is your attitude and how that attitude kind of goes into exactly our topic tonight, and that's muskies. Yeah, no, I mean, you you definitely have to. Um, I mean, muskies are one of those uh, one of the few fish that I that I believe like your attitude directly, you know, dictates the success that you have. And, uh, I guess the biggest thing is, especially when you're targeting big muskies, you can't get too high. You can't get too low. One of the things with targeting really big muskies is you're either going to be fishing lower population density lakes, or you're going to have to get off the beaten path a little bit to maybe some, uh, lower population density parts of lakes or systems that you're fishing. And uh, you just, you can't have a, a bad attitude if you go out there and have a bad day, because as we all know with musky fishing, one bad day can turn into three bad days, can turn into a bad week, can turn into a bad month, and then can turn into a bad year. And you just got to be able to go out there, fish hard, fish what you believe is the right thing, to do, you know, fish the right conditions, do what you believe should work that day. And then if it, it doesn't work out for you, um, you just have to hit the reset button and go out there again and, and just kind of... Um, you know, learn, you know, you take a, a few lessons from the day before on what didn't work, but you know, with musky fishing, you're just one good decision, one cast away from having a great day and just being able to uh, keep a clear head and, and just, you know, not get too high or too low is a, a really important thing for having success every day, you know, out there chasing these things. I would totally agree with that, Luke. And one of the things I think I've said it on past podcasts is basically maybe I'm just so dumb. I believe I'm going to catch one every stinking cast, but you know, that's where my, my brain goes every time I'm on the water. That's a great attitude to have. I mean, just the anticipation of, you know, what can happen on every cast, I think is what drives, you know, everybody that fishes, you know, everybody that fishes for these things and it's the experiences, but it's just one of those things where you just can't let the, I mean, you can't let the highs be too high and the lows be too low. Unfortunately, it's uh, when the lows become too low is when you get yourself in some trouble. But it's just uh, just thinking it can happen every you know on every cast is huge, and especially when you're targeting big fish. I mean, we've talked about this before at length. You know, at your place over a few beers. I mean, it's just half the time. It's just you know believing you know that you can catch those out there is ninety percent of the battle. Yeah, that that's so true, and I think people get confused on that whole topic. No different than anybody else, Luke. We both spells and it, it's not fun during those drives. you somehow have to dig out of them and i think the biggest way sometimes is just more time on the water just grind it out that's definitely the truth i would say the truth i mean that is that's the deal i would say that the one you know the one thing that i tell anybody with musky fishing when they're just getting into it or you know they're, they're, they're wanting to get into the industry or getting into guiding and just figuring out you know just how to spend more time on the water and i, I always tell people that you know the the best thing that I ever did was just, you know, or the smartest thing that I ever did, you know, chasing these things is just figuring out how to spend every waking second, you know, out fishing for them. But then the second thing is just fishing on bodies of water that can produce the muskies that you're, you know, that you're chasing, you know, that you want to catch. Well, that's one thing. That's one of the topics. I mean, honestly, one of the things that you've said is you can't catch what doesn't exist. Why don't you talk about that some? Well, um, yeah, I, I don't, uh, 
you know, hopefully I didn't just with this topic, I don't, I don't want to, um, you know, I don't want to offend you know, like offend somebody or think, you know, or I don't even know how to describe this, but, uh, I don't want anybody to be offended, you know, and, and not thinking that the bodies of water that they fish are quality bodies of water, or that they're not big fish water. But I guess if we, um, I guess maybe let's, you know, let's set the bar at, uh, let's say 55 inch, you know, I guess that's what we'll, we'll call a big muskie, you know, and those just simply, they don't exist everywhere. Um, they actually, they exist, you know, they exist in, in very few places. I think in Minnesota, we're very fortunate that a lot of the, you know, with the strain of muskies that we have, the Leech Lake strain, that they can get to, um, to 55 inches in a lot of places, but they're, they're definitely more common, you know, in certain bodies of water. And it's just, it's paying attention to the, you know, to the history of like where, you know, where the majority of those fish get caught, you know, they're really, I would say, you know, like the big, the big three, as far as throwing out, you know, those, you know, that caliber of fish are, uh, you know, Lake Mille Lac, Lake, uh, Lake Vermilion, Lake Bemidji. And then you have, you know, some kind of secondary lake where those happen quite a bit, like Leech, you know, out by you've got a couple out by you, Pelican, um, Lake Minnetonka, and then like maybe Lake Waconia in Minnesota. But those are kind of, you know, some of the few lakes where you consistently hear of, you know, both fish being caught, you know, on a, on a regular basis. Right. That's what you're talking about. You can't catch what doesn't exist. So, you know, and what's everybody's idea of what a big fish, you know, and I think a lot of times as musky anglers, we get tainted a little bit, but, you know, celebrate them all. That's the one thing I would definitely share with everybody is. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the one, you know, the one thing I would say, you know, kind of like the current state of, of musky fishing generally, you know, definitely in our area with there's a lot of our, our bigger lakes, they're just largely because of just stocking and, you know, like a reduction in stocking about, you know, 15, 15 to 20 years ago, you know, we're seeing less, you know, less muskies now. And it is like any day that you go out and you catch a muskie, it's a, a fantastic day. You know, even I get excited about 34 inches. I get excited about every one because they're rare. I mean, to, to be perfectly honest with you, you know, I'd say like the last three or four years, I mean, we've both in a year, we catch around a hundred muskies. You know, I know there's charter captains on Lake St. Clair that catch that in a week. So, I mean, just catching, just catching a muskie is a big deal. So Luke over in Minnesota versus Wisconsin, what do you suppose the difference is? Is it because the strain of fish that they're, fit, that they're you know, cause like, get back, get back to your, your point. You're like, yeah, you don't want to offend anybody, which I understand that you're mostly targeting Wisconsin guys. Cause in reality, I mean, we can all be real unless you're fishing green Bay, there's not a lot of opportunity for a 55 inch caliber fish. So with Minnesota, is it the size of the lakes because of the vast size that most of these lakes are? Cause I mean, in Wisconsin, we have lakes that are 60 acres, a hundred acres, 200, a thousand, you know, 3000 that all have muskies where in Minnesota, it seems like most of these lakes are bigger bodies of water. So is it the size of the body of the water or is it the strain of the fish? What, what is it in your opinion? Um, I think it's kind of a, a combination of all of those. We have, obviously, the Leech Lake strain of fish has played a, a big role in that. Um, we do have large lakes that have really good forage bases, you know, with a lot of fiscals, whitefish, sucker, you know, good sucker populations. The other thing, too, is that they are, uh, I mean, a lot of these were stocked, you know, are stocked fisheries. They're, you know, artificially created. And then you have, you know, you have that introduction effect where the fish get really large. But I, I do believe it's um, it's definitely a strain thing. 
I mean, there's a few people out there that are aware of the, uh, the Nancy Lake project in the Hayward area where they put Leech Lake strain fish in that lake and they got very large. Um, a lot of 50 inches were caught out of there. I want to say fish to, um, you know, fish to right around that 55 inch mark got caught out of that body of water. And that's from what I, I've never been on it. I don't know a lot about it, but I've just heard that it's a, uh, you know, kind of a medium size, shallower lake with a, with kind of a poor forge base. So, I mean, a lot of it could be strained. I would look towards, um, I, I really do feel very strongly about that, the stocking thing. You know, I would look for, you know, look to some of the newer bodies of water, you know, in the, the central and southern part of the state right now that are, uh, I don't want to name any lakes to, uh, to upset anybody, but there's some lakes being stocked right now that, that are probably going to throw out some really giant fish in the, the next couple of years as, as they're coming to age. I think that's a really huge, a really big thing. You know, even some of the, like Green Bay, I mean, it's obviously a part of the Great Lakes and the Great Lakes have, have giant muskies in them, but, you know, that was a, a stock you know, a stock deal. Even, uh, I mean, probably one of the greatest Great Lakes bites that's ever happened is on the Ottawa River, and that was actually a restoration project, a stocking project. So, I mean, the, the stocking thing is a, a really big deal, just getting, you know, getting out there to chase those first several year classes of fish. So then looking back on your notes that you gave us, you know, I can't, I'm kind of going down your notes. So let's just talk about catching numbers versus catching big ones. What's like, what's your theory? What, what are you looking for in a lake where you're going to catch numbers? What are you looking for in a lake that you're going to catch big ones? Cause then once we figure that out, then I think we're going to start heading down the path of what you go about, what, you know, like what's your mindset when you're chasing these big fish. So let's talk okay, about so, what you meant by that. All right. So what I'm, what I'm talking about there is actually when you're, you're fishing, when you're actually out on these bodies of water that have these fish, you know, like a Lake Vermilion, a Green Bay, a Lake Malac one of the biggest things on these, you know, these larger, lower population density lakes is just actually catching muskies. I think if you would have, if we would have talked about this 10 years ago, I could have told you, I could have written a book about how to pattern, you know, just big fish versus patterning numbers. And uh, I would say about, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, my, my opinion on this totally changed. I just believe that by going out on a body of water that, that you have, you know, the potential of these fish and just catching, you know, through your numbers come your size. So if you catch, like on Lake Vermilion, if you catch 10 muskies, you know, two or three of those are going to be 50 inch class. And I guess that's kind of where I'm, where I'm basing that off of like, even, you know, even out on, you know, like a body of water, like Green Bay, like, you know, the really good guides out there, they don't really change, you know, much of what they're doing at all. Some days they go out and they catch four you know three four five six and they're smaller and the next day they go out doing the exact same thing and they catch two big ones it's just through just catching a volume of fish a you know catching a hundred muskies on these bodies of water say like 10 to 20 percent of them will be big fish yeah it kind of reminds me luke of the days on Malax where you might be cruising along and just looking at the fish not even casting you know you might see a hundred fish in a hundred yards you know it was pretty remarkable that's probably what you're kind of thinking about yeah, it's just, it's kind of. I mean, I, I'm hopefully I'm trying. You know, like, I'm being like clear on it, but it's just like if you go, I guess you know what I'm trying to maybe get at is just that when you're when you're out there and you're on the right pattern, you know, a big fish pattern can be on these bodies of water a pattern where you're catching muskies. You know, if it's going, you know, if it's going out on an August day and you're throwing, you know, like a 
like a double showgirl, you know, over the rock pile on vermilion. Like you're probably, you know, if you're going to go out there and in a week, you're going to catch 10 or 12 fish. You're going to catch three, you know, you know, two or three of those fish could be, you know, could be 50 inches versus if you're going to go out there and just, you know, attempt to target large muskies or the one, you know, you think how you're going to target large muskies and you go, you know, you may go fish, you know, like maybe some deeper rocks or some off the beaten path, you know, you know, off, off the beaten path spots and just, you know, just by only targeting in areas where there's very, you know, a lot less fish, you're just, you know, you're potentially going to be just catching fewer and with fewer numbers, you're going to catch fewer big ones. A story or a remembrance of us guiding together was quite a few years ago. And I know Jason Hammernick was part of this. You kind of had a rough start. You showed up, you had a, a hub on your Ranger trailer go bad. We sent you to town to get that fixed and we took your guys out on the water then later in the week, you had your motor blow up on you. And what I want to say about this, it's always blown my mind. I've thought about this all the time. You ran on your kicker motor, and you kicked all of our butts. I think I think maybe you got a musky magnet in your pocket because uh, it's so bizarre what took place over that whole week. All the different things that went against all the grain, and yet you still came up on top. You kicked all of our butts and putting fish in the boat, but not only fish, but big fish too. Well, I don't, so I actually kind of, I, I remember that really, really well, just because that was one of the last times that I actually ever fished out by you guys. I actually kind of got really lucky because we were, um, you know, that was a, a September trip and uh, it was right around turnover. And uh, we were using that East boat launch and right there in Tamarack Bay and, uh, you know, right in front of that, that boat launch were big giant shallow flats you know with everything getting close to turnover all the fish and everything had moved shallow so i i was lucky that i didn't have to go very far to find all those fish but that was um yeah that was that was pretty hilarious unfortunately that's not the only time that i've had a guide off my kicker motor um it was <laughs> not uh <laughs> not not too long ago i had a, a day like that where i was I was stuck in head of lakes and, and was guiding off of a T8 and uh, we ended up catching a really big muskie because we couldn't go very far. Well, it's funny, you know, I think that that's part of the equation though as well, Luke. When you start looking, you know, break a lake apart a little bit and actually dial in. And if you break that lake down into little segments, you kind of get to learn it really quick. And I think that's kind of what took place that week as well. Yeah, no, I, w- I would say that, um, you know, get, you know, was talking about really you know it's like really big muskies some of the biggest in in all in the systems that you're fishing like they definitely don't march to the same you know to the same beat that all the other all the other muskies do they definitely do some some really weird things i would say that uh one of the things that i laugh about on on lake vermilion is that there's a, a basin north of pine island that's you know kind of a longer skinny shallow basin and um there's you know the cool thing about vermilion is there's ciscos and whitefish everywhere but for that particular basin so many people look at it and they say there's no you know that's it's shallow back there there's there's going to be no big fish up there and uh i want to say in 2016 and 2017 or 2017 and 2018 the biggest fish that i saw all year were back north of pine island one other thing is is funny is you know maybe Oh, I don't know, like seven years ago, I started dabbling in a little bit of, of bass fishing and it kind of got me back. You know, as musky guys, a lot of times we're, we're really guilty of, of just being brake line guys. 
at least I know that I was, you know, and it's just like everything basically existed from the brake line in or like the inside weed edge out, you know, starting to look at some of just uh, the shallower, more like just kind of blatantly obvious, but weird to musky guy spots like boat launch here, like, uh, like boat docks and, you know, like maybe a, a lay down or just things that are more like your bassy type spots. Well, practicing for some of these bass tournaments, we ran into some really big muskies in those areas. And uh, I've kind of taken the lessons that I learned there and applied it to Vermilion. And I've definitely caught some really big muskies in some really odd, odd places on Vermilion. So it's just another thing kind of to keep in mind there when you're thinking about big fish. They basically can be anywhere and you can't rule anything out. It kind of leads us into another topic that you mentioned to talk about, and that's look for big fish, not not patterns per se. What I meant there is like, as far as like looking again for, um, you know, look for like the, an area of the lake, you know, that maybe um, is a little bit off the, the beaten path or there are definitely areas uh, and they're in all lakes. I mean, on Vermilion, I mean, there's, there's no doubt that the majority of the fish, you know, 55 inch plus come from, you know, Fectos Point and West. Again, like those, some of those areas, they're just, they're kind of the, uh, the big fish areas. But what I was talking about there is that's where you want to go out and, you know, you still want to fish to catch muskies, but just catching muskies in those areas is going to bump up your average size. Go back to like Green Bay and use this for an example. You know, some of the areas down there where a lot of the really big fish are getting caught, you know, the guys are out there and they're using, you know, like trolling smaller crankbaits or trolling small to medium-sized bucktails and they're they're catching, you know, numbers of fish out of, you know, and, and big ones out of big fish areas, but they're not necessarily, I guess what I'm trying to go with this is, is try to eliminate the mindset of going out there and, you know, being like, well, I'm only going to target big muskies, so I'm just going to use giant lures or I'm just going to target, you know, I'm just going to troll, uh, you know, a, a 16 inch crankbait over open water all year and just target big ones because a lot of times that can be counterproductive. I mean, that can work at certain times of the year, but it's not going to be productive all the time. So, you know, you, you still want to, to focus on just catching muskies and then, you know, with that's going to come your size. So, Luke, do you, do you feel that there's like times that are better for a big fish? Like literally like times of the day, majors, minors, moonset, moonrise, do you think there's a better time or a better phase that you produce more big fish on? Than yeah, I would say the one thing that's held true through, you know, through the last 15 years of guiding has been like major moon phases, like the weeks that are better, like the full moon weeks, the new moon weeks, and then, you know, like the, the couple days around the half moons. I would say like the timing things, you know, like the majors, minors, you know, things of that nature, those can really change year to year as far as like their productivity. And it, it seems like I would say that they're like the, you know, keying in on, on majors and then moonrise and moonset, they are, they're definitely more productive when there's less fishing pressure on the lake. I just, you know, on, on Vermilion, uh, we do see just a, an astronomical amount of, of, you know, fishing pressure up there and good fishing pressure. And uh, I do think anglers have changed you know, when those muskies, you know, actually do, uh, do bite. But I do see those things come more into play later in the year when there's less traffic, say September, October, November, those are, are really key times. But one thing that I've definitely paid attention to, say like the last five, six, seven, eight years has been, I just call them photo period windows. And that's just paying attention to the time of the day that you start to get action. 
you know, a lot of times you can, you can repeat that success, you know, day after day, a lot, you know, a lot of times when we're doing our open water, June, July stuff, like around nine in the morning, it's really good for whatever reason. Um, later in the summertime, sometimes it's two in the afternoon can be a really good time. And just, you know, obviously these times are going to be slightly different, but you can literally, you know, if you have action at, at two thirty-five in the afternoon, and you pay attention to that, you can generally kind of turn that into a, a feeding window and capitalize on it, kind of like you would a you know, a moonrise set or a major. But then as far as like a time of year to go out, you know, and, and catch more, you know, catch big ones, I can honestly say that through the course of my, you know, 15 years now and, and fishing out in, in Green Bay early in May through November, we've caught 55 inch plus muskies, you know, every month that I've been able to fish, you know, from May through November. And then, um, far as tons of different patterns, different times of the day, I would say the last year we got really lucky. Uh, we caught five big fish. We got five of them between 54 and 55 inches. All of them were right in the middle of the bus. One was a nine o'clock in the morning fish. The other three were right in the middle of the afternoon. And then we did have one right at dark, but I mean, a lot of the big ones. And then the year prior to that, our fish were, uh, we had a 55 and a 56 incher and those were right in the middle of the afternoon. So it's just, they can happen at any time. I just think it's once again, just fishing quality bodies of water. I shouldn't say quality fishing bodies of water that can produce those fish and just being out there all the time and just being on patterns, you know, where you're catching muskies and then those, those big fish will, will happen. What about some of the biggest fish brads ever boated? They've all come on like super high sky, clear, hot, kind of nasty days to be out fishing because you're, I mean, if you're me and you're albino, you're a lobster by the end of the day, no matter how much sunscreen you can put on. But do you see any pattern in that? Absolutely, for sure. Like, if you look at if you look at my big fish photos from the last 15 years, you're going to see a lot of middle of the afternoon, bright bluebird, high skies. And uh, I think this might be like a little bit counterintuitive, but those days are not ideal feeding conditions for the muskies. And therefore a lot of times i think on those days you get a lot of the big open water fish that that slide up onto structure and they're you know you're literally just catching fish that are coming up near the break lines or coming up onto structure their structures that are there to sunbathe and just hang out because it's nice not necessarily to feed and then you're just lucky enough to uh to put a lure in front of them at the right time and they're just you know they're they're not on their game but yeah i i think that's why that's so good and that is it's definitely a definitely a thing and it's it's something that uh my guests laugh at me you know every year i have i'll have somebody that i'll be like oh man it's going to be a great day today this is big fish weather and they look at me like i'm absolutely crazy you know then it happens you find though on those days that it's kind of a one fish day i mean you're you're not you're not going to see numbers but it's going to be one one good one yep absolutely that's definitely um you get one you get you get a shot at that one really good fish and then Sometimes on those days, like you can have a good right at dark window, like a good sunset first dark window that can be good. But those are definitely the two windows there. Yeah, it's always amazing, Luke. This past season, I know five o'clock to six o'clock was almost like clockwork. And that lasted for at least a month. Paying attention to those details definitely can be part of the equation when it comes to catching more fish. Yeah, no, it's crazy. It, it all I mean, musky fishing is so much uh, so much about those details. But just out of curiosity, was that like September, October for you? 
No, actually, it was July and August, and that time frame, it just seemed to be solid. 5 o'clock to 6 p.m. every day, we put at least one fish in the boat. Okay, that, um, that you know, I would say that definitely holds, holds true um, to uh, just thinking about what we had last summer, too. I, I can just say that that 5 p.m., you know, kind of that photo period window has always been really exceptional for me in September and October, too, but... This summer, a common theme for us up on Vermilion was how fishing got pretty good that late afternoon, evening, like what you were talking about. And then the old, uh, the old happy hour right at dark, first hour of dark was, uh, for, you know, until about mid-August was pretty brutal for us. It just, it didn't, uh, it didn't happen, especially on the east end of the lake. It seemed like muskies were literally just paddling off a structure at, you know, at the time when you think you should be getting ready to catch a few of them. Um, it's just, I don't know, it's funny, they, these fish, they always keep you guessing, and they're always throwing you curveballs and always changing just a little bit. Hands down. I'm kind of curious what your theories are with the uh, the zebra mussels and the water clarity that we're dealing with. I unfortunately don't have a lot of experience with the uh, whole zebra mussels thing. Um, luckily enough, up on Vermilion, we have, you know, it being basically up on the shield, our, our water chemistry, our our lakes or the lakes up there don't have enough calcium in the water for the zebra mussel shells to develop. So at, at the moment we, um, you know, we're not dealing with any zebra mussels and I haven't had the, uh, you know, the last couple of years, it's been quite a few years now. I haven't been out on Malax in the fall since about 2016. You know, the, the water always kind of cleared up there in the fall. So I haven't, I unfortunately can't really answer that without like kind of speculating. Up by us, it's just, I think that there's just, you know, the with that evening bite, at least that time of the year, basically, we have vermilion, we are constantly having bug hatches. Some type of bug is, hatch, you know, hatching every week of the open water season. And uh, it just definitely seemed like, you know, with the bugs hatching and fiscals coming up to the surface, the muskies were just sliding off of structure and then making their way out to, you know, to feed on those fiscals that were also making their way up in the water column. And and as you know, muskies around a ton of food can be kind of challenging to catch. So it seems like we had a good opportunity at those fish when they started to move off the structure and were moving that later afternoon. But then once they got out with the food, they wanted nothing to do with lures. I would agree with what you just said there for sure, Luke. Bait fish explosion in the last couple of years, I know, around my neck of the woods. So it definitely has made things difficult. The, the neat thing about it is you're going to get a little heavier fish out of it because they're, they're eating well. Yeah, no, that is that is one nice thing. And even with last year, with uh, I've also noticed that with kind of the colder years, you know, I, I don't know what your uh, what your weather is, you know, was up by Milpona and that, but up by us, it never really got super hot, so that our, our fish kind of carried that weight all year long. And it is it is nice to get a really big, heavy fish in August. So, Luke, in those areas, since you were just talking about that have heavy forage, do you approach them differently? Like I know here when. The bait fish are abundant. You know, they don't have to work real hard to get to get food, so they're not as aggressive. So you have to play your cards a little differently in order to get them to eat. Oh yeah, for sure. I would say like you just have to play the uh, the feeding windows out perfectly. You know, just like being you know figuring out when they're actually biting, and then just being on the the spot on the spot, like literally within. It's going to sound ridiculous, but even you know to almost a minute. I mean, you probably have a a 10 minute feeding window at certain times where the fish are actively, you know, up and moving around and they'll, they'll hit a bait before they'll hit a Cisco um, or just the bait gets, the lure gets their attention. The other thing I would say that 
in those areas what's been you know especially like the the open water bite for us is definitely like some really bright really bright colors you know like white with chartreuses and orange things that are really loud or else like heavily you know heavy lures of heavy contrast blacks and yellows or just like straight up jet black lures to something that's you know heavily contrasting that's just going to stand out against those baits i would say the other thing too is kind of getting close to in profile with the size of the lures to the size of the forge if the ciscos that are flipping around the surface are eight to ten inches you're going to be way better off with an eight to ten inch lure or uh, if the stuff that's on the surface is uh you know bigger the larger ciscos and the, the white fish where you're looking at like a 14 to 16 inch fish you know then go with the bigger lures but uh, if the fish are really biting and they're really active, then I'm always erring towards like a larger lure, something that's going to get their attention, make a bigger splash. I would agree, Luke. You know, one of the things that I've learned with heavier forge too is I think a lot of times, and I've, I've used this many different times, and whether it be in a seminar or in conversation, maybe even on the podcast, but, you know, does the fat guy run to the fridge or does he walk? And what I mean by that is, when you have a big lazy fish that's got around it, sometimes I think slowing down your presentation can be the key. Now, say a rock pile somewhere where there's basically no forage, the bigger, stronger fish that's going to chase that bait is going to eat it, you know, and speed can really be a big factor. I'd say on low forage, it seems like speed is the, the triggering factor for the bigger fish. Yeah, no, it's just, I think it kind of goes, you know, a lot of it just goes back to, whether if you got to go fast to catch them or you got to go, you know, slower to catch them, it just, it kind of just boils down to just catching muskies in these lakes to, to catching big ones. But uh, I would say definitely up on Vermilion are well, are well fed fish. I mean, it's with the rubber baits, it's a lot of long pauses. Still, uh, I would say definitely, um, sometimes we'll get them going, you know, big ones going faster with the bucktails, but it'll, it'll be a bigger profile bucktail, but a lot of just slow to medium retrieves with the bucktails and, and slow moving topwaters, you know, get us a, a big one or at least a shot at a big one every year. Well, maybe we can kind of slip into that whole topic. I know it was interesting last year at the Thorn Brothers spring sale. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but if there was one bucktail you could use, that would be the supermodel. And I've thought about that from time to time again. And I, I love it that it's one of our products, but at the same time, why do you think the supermodel is part of the equation for big fish? I mean, it's a, a big profile lure that displaces a ton of water. And I mean, it just has such a presence in the water. But again, this year I got my biggest fish of the year was on a, a supermodel. I think just that, just that presence and that water displacement, there's just up by us, there's going to be a two week period of time where there is just there is not a better lure to throw than that and it also could be that just i mean the fish aren't seeing it every day i mean that's just something that you know most guys just aren't going out there and swinging those things around but i mean they're just big fish magnets there's not there's no uh there's no way other no other way to put it so luke i know one thing that people ask us on podcasts is like the equipment that they use to throw these baits like for a supermodel what's your what's your setup like for that so I'm using a, a 10 foot extra heavy rod, but then I'm, uh, I'm actually using a, a lower gear ratio reel for that. Like I'm using a, a Dio Alexa five to one, um, the 400 HD. And that's a reel that gets about 30 inches per turn in the handle, but it's got a ton of power. And, uh, my whole theory with that is, is that it's easier to turn a lower gear ratio handle with that, you know, reel that has a lot of power three times 
you know, than it is to turn the handle of a high speed twice. And it's just basically getting yourself set up with a setup that you can fish with that lure all day long, you know, instead of throwing it on like a high speed reel where maybe you're going to be able to throw it for, you know, just a few spots before it wears you out. All right, Luke. So I know we talked about the supermodel, but for guys that are out targeting big fish, what other baits are, should they have in their tackle box or in their arsenal? There's a lot of baits that work for big muskies, but I would say kind of the the biggest thing that I definitely pay attention to and look for is say like new trends or a lure that's just kind of a slightly, you know, a different spinoff of, um, you know, things that are out there. I would, I could say that like 10 years ago and I would, I would talk to people at, we used to get together all the time after we're done guiding and it'd be big giant groups of people and you'd be asking them what they're up to and what they're catching. And, you know, we were all throwing cowgirls and bulldogs and then you'd run into somebody that'd be like, they're like, Oh, I, I don't really want to talk about it. You know, we were just doing something that was different. And, uh, that used to just absolutely drive me nuts. I was like, Oh, well you can go fish with your different lures. You know, we're just going to keep throwing what we're catching fish on. But, um, I can say that like, you know, the last several years is that, you know, having something that's different has been really huge. Like when Brad and Terry came out with their moon series, like the heavy series cowgirls, the live wires, you know, like the different rubber baits, you know, your custom baits. Last year we did really well on, on Tyson, it's crack, you know, crack, just something that's, you know, similar to something that works, but it's different. I mean, it's just the, um, you know, it's just getting something in front of these fish that they haven't seen a million times. I mean, these are big, old, smart fish. And I would say I love, I mean, I'm an absolute topwater freak. And uh, I, I mean, I probably throw topwaters uh, more than I should. But one thing that's great about topwaters is you can take, you know, 10, of, 10 lures that are the same lure, but all 10 of them are going to be slightly different. So you can have something, you know, in a lure that's, that's truly, truly unique and it's something that a fish hasn't seen. And that's, that's a really big deal. I mean, it, you just, you see it every year with there's something new that comes out that, you know, that the fish just absolutely love. And it's definitely better, you know, than, than what, what else is out there, you know, at that time, I would say it seems like these lures, we get about, you know, about five good years of, you know, like a new lure being good, but it's, it's always good to be looking for that new lure, or that new color. So staying on that new lure, new color theme, is there anything that you've seen for 2020 that caught your eye that you think that you must have in your boat this year? Oh man, there's uh there honestly there's been a lot of it. You know, I would say there's always stuff that I'm looking at. I would say nothing nothing that I can think of off the top of my head. That's probably like the only thing I didn't prepare for for um for this podcast was uh, you know, just thinking about the actual lure stuff. But um yeah, definitely gonna be stocking up on some more some more supermodels. You know, I got some some new creepers and some new flat tails and things like that. Obviously some of the new the new rubber baits. I'll definitely be trying some of the um, the new uh, rabbit girl. I think that's a that's a killer bait, and uh, that is something that'll be something that'll be different. But I'm sure there'll be there'll be something. I know in the last couple of years, there's been obviously an explosion on like swim baits, whether it be the Poseidon or the Swimming Dogs, or I think there's a couple other companies that make them. Those are the two most prominent. Are you finding much success, or are you throwing those much? Yeah, no, I've um, I was lucky enough that one of my uh, that one of my fishing mentors got me into the swimbait thing literally uh, in like first time I got to see, you know, like the power of swimbaits was 2009, 2010, 11, 12. We just absolutely crushed fish on the, uh, at that time it was the action plastics, the big 15 inch swimming shads. The swimbaits are incredibly powerful. We catch big ones, you know, on, on swimbaits 
every year. They're definitely just like, they're kind of like a new lure category. Uh, I actually throw like, or I'll, I'll use the, um, I throw like the beaver baits into that same category too. To me, those seems, you know, that to me, those are kind of like a hair swim bait. At least that's how I fish them more than anything. I definitely am. Uh, I did see a, a picture of a, an extra large swimming or a swim bait potentially coming out for musky innovations that I'm pretty excited about. Yeah, I think I saw a little bit about that too. I'm sure we'll all know more about it later on this, this season, but we'll keep you guys hanging with that one right now. Definitely a bait that I would look for to add in. Yeah, no, swim baits are really cool. I, one thing I'm definitely, that I have not done enough of, I've, I've played with it a little tiny bit, but uh, is actually trolling those swim baits out in the open water. I'm going to definitely give that a good shot this year, at least put a couple of them out. I've definitely um, been watching some of those the YouTube videos of the uh, European pike guys just uh, trolling those swim baits out in the open water and getting some, some absolutely like tremendous pike over there. So just with all the fishing pressure that, you know, that our fish see over here, just, you know, something that's, that's different, you know, kind of a little, a little against the grain might be really, really good. Let's let me ask you this. Are you, are you interested in any of these jigging baits? If, this, if you look at a Bondi or anything, are, are you doing any of that up on Vermilion? Well, I definitely, um, I play with it a, a little bit though. The, the problem that I've had with, um, with the jigging baits is that, you know, our, I shouldn't even say it's a problem. Just the reason why I haven't, I haven't used them more is that they just, they run a little bit deep for the, you know, for like the average depth that I'm, um, that I'm fishing, you know, fishing for the fish. And I would say like, I'm definitely targeting fish, you know, casting anyways from like zero to 12, 14 feet of water for the most part at the deepest. And then, uh, even with our open water stuff, you know, we're fishing all the deep water. I'm still, you know, looking at, you know, the, you know, targeting the fish that are in the upper third of the water column, if not like the upper, upper quarter. So just, it's kind of been a, a running depth thing for me there. I know that I do carry them in the boat and, uh, I, I am, you know, I am prepared and that has been a thought that I've, you know, that I've had and that I know that other people have, but I just, I have not personally spent a lot of time doing that. How about yourself? You know, I haven't gone down that path yet. I definitely find it intriguing. I really haven't gone down that path as well, Lou. Yeah, no, it's a definitely a, a cool thing. I can see it, you know, for, for us, I could see it being a, a thing in the, you know, the late fall. I would say that we definitely did do some some vertical jigging with bulldogs, you know, the last uh, the last 15 years. But I just, I haven't really done a ton with the, um, you know, like the Bondies or the, or the ripping dogs on vermilion I've, I've definitely used them other places but our our fish there for whatever reason definitely are still you know they're in the open water they they ride fairly high in the water column and then they're you know they're leech lake strain fish they're shallow structure fish makes sense so luke there's a couple of things we haven't talked about well the first one let's talk about is night fishing how important is night fishing into your your overall game plan when you're tra- targeting big fish it's absolutely huge i still love absolutely love night fishing it's something that uh you know that i I really do enjoy still doing i know you talk to a few a few guys that have been doing it forever and they'll they say that they hate it and they don't like it anymore and for me i still um i just love the quiet nights and uh just being out there when nobody else is for me the the effectiveness of night fishing it kind of seems like it's on a on an every other year you know every kind of like an every other year pattern where it seems like 
some years it's really good and then some years it isn't like last year we did not catch any big fish after dark the year before that we caught several several big ones after dark um it's just something that i i play by i kind of play it by year i would say definitely that i'm kind of one of those guys that believes that the fish are always biting you know either when or where and if, if i can't catch them during the day i i definitely will will go out and fish for them at night and uh, sometimes that night window, I mean, it, it can be kind of brutal. A lot of times uh, when things are really tough by us, a lot of times those fish are biting between like midnight and four in the morning. And uh, I'm definitely still mad enough at them where I will, I'll go out there and get after them at that, you know, at that time of day or that time of night. Yeah. You can even take it back as far as the, uh, the old Mille Lacs days. I mean, we pretty much live like vampires, Luke. Oh yeah, those were uh, a lot. I mean, I can remember most of the time we didn't even start our guide trips till like five, six, seven o'clock at night. That's so those that's a are, fact. Those are some amazing times because a lot of times we uh, we started our guide trips at five o'clock, and then everybody was so happy by midnight that uh, we were all in. And that was back when the Carlsona Beach would stay open and serve food till two in the morning for us. So that was awesome. Those, uh, you know, those were some really, really great times. They, I think they were just so unappreciated even back then, just like, you know, obviously the, the fishing was amazing, but you know, just the, the group of guys that we all got to hang out and spend so much time together. That was a, a really neat, neat time in musky fishing history. Hands down. It, it goes into the books. That's for sure. And I know Carl Sona's was dear to your heart, Luke. It was kind of right up in our, our neighborhood. You know, that was, that was just part of the, that was part of the milk run, right? It was, you know, drive from, uh, you know, drive from Agate Bay past, you know, around Carlsona's to usually launch that, you know, launch that, uh, the red door there. And then you just hit the, you know, hit the beach on the way back. That was a good time. That's awesome. So Luke, the last way that we haven't really talked a lot about for targeting big fish is trolling. Obviously we talked about a lot of different ways. Is this something that you utilize also? Yeah. Trolling is, um, trolling is something that, uh, one of those things where I don't do it you know, there's, there's definitely, there are guys out there that are, uh, you know, that are definitely lean towards being, you know, obviously almost exclusive trollers. And then there's guys that, you know, that do it maybe 50% of the time, or, you know, it may be like a, a go-to, you know, a go-to technique for them. For me, trolling has kind of always been one of those things where uh, I like to troll when I go out and I'm learning uh, a new body of water, you know, just go out and, and, and put some baits, you know, short behind the boat and just go drive and, and look and, and learn. And you can, you know, potentially stumble into a muskie when you're out there looking. There's definitely been some really, you know, awesome windows, you know, that have happened over the years as far as trolling for me in my guiding career. Obviously, the, uh, the open water trolling thing with the supernatural stuff has been absolutely incredible. And then uh, the Green Bay, you know, like the Green Bay thing, too, that I would say, you know, we've been fortunate enough to have caught a lot of really nice fish out of green bay and, and almost all of them have come trolling and then uh i've actually kind of gravitated now in the uh the late fall i'm doing a lot more a lot more trolling but the one thing that's really you know really unique about trolling is that you know it's it's been a, i would say i probably troll somewhere between 10 and 15 percent of the time you know at the end of the year if you look at how many days you spend doing it but there is quite a few years there where, you know, trolling 10 to 15% of the time, if you looked at like my top five or six fish, you know, biggest fish of the year, where half of those fish would have come trolling. And that's something that I was doing, uh, you know, like I said, 10 to 15% of the time. So, I mean, there's, 
you know, I guess it, it kind of goes, you know, it can show you how effective of a technique the trolling can be for, uh, for big muskies, but then also it was the, you know, the times of the year and, you know, where those fish were that, you know, trolling was the best way to, you know, the best way to target those fish. But trolling is, is definitely, um, you know, it's definitely a great way to catch big ones. My, uh, you know, probably my most impressive Minnesota fish I've caught trolling. And then my, the biggest muskie I've ever caught was caught trolling. So, you know, just, just some food for thought too, or for, you know, food for thought there. There's, and, and I would definitely say that there's a, quite a few anglers that I think are, are much better trollers than I am too. It's just kind of one of those things where trolling really is an, an effective way to catch big muskies. Well, we've bounced through a bunch of different topics here about big fish, Luke. You know, if there was one thing that you would say that people should do, what would that be to basically target those big muskies? I mean, I know we talked about you can't catch what doesn't exist. We've talked about the bodies of water that you choose to fish. But as far as approaching a big fish, say you know where one's at, how would you approach that? You know, it's like approaching, with approaching them, if you, when you have one kind of, uh, figured out kind of a, a spot where they like to be or a home range that they like to be at. I would say the biggest thing is try and put as little pressure on those fish as possible. I kind of say the last thing you ever want to do is, is camp out on those fish because a lot of times, you know, once in a while, somebody may get really lucky and, and get a big one when you're camping on them. But up by us, a lot of times those fish, if you, if you sit on them, they just simply leave the spots. I mean, that's been kind of one of the the amazing things about side imaging is that you get to see, um, you know, you get to see what's out there without actually catching, um, you know, without like catching them or having them follow. And, uh, it's amazing, you know, looking at, on mega imaging and, and going by, um, you know, going down a weed line and seeing a big muskie there that's sitting right on the edge and it may not follow. And then you're like, Oh, well, we're just going to spin right around and, and try some different baits on it. Maybe it'll follow something else. And you go down that weed line again and the fish is just gone. So that's been really cool. I would say that's definitely it. You know, put as little fishing pressure on those fish as possible and then try and, uh, you know, just go back and and fish for those fish at like optimal times, you know, when you know that they're biting and and just minimal amount of fishing pressure would definitely be, um, would be really huge. That's the one really cool thing about Vermilion and where I'm, you know, where I'm staying up at the Vermilion Dam Lodge there is we have a lot of, of large bays that are, are nearby and then even in kind of the, the western part of the lake and then in the Fraser Bay where you actually have, I mean, we kind of, we call them the queens of these bays where you have like one giant fish that will, uh, that'll roll in with a pack of them and, uh, you know, kind of get to know the, you know, like these individual fish over the course of a couple of years. And, um, they're very hard to catch. They're very smart and, uh, they're there. And, and thanks to side imaging, you get to, uh, to really see how they, how they behave and, and act. And it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's interesting stuff, Luke, for sure. Um, one of the things that I, I've been thinking, kicking around is maybe going with the 360 Mega to add to that whole part of the boat as well. Yeah, that I'm really excited for, uh, you know, for the, you know, the potential of 360 Mega, you know, just with what Mega side imaging has done for us. Like, I, I can't even imagine what that's going to be. Just, you know, even that potential, like more live view of what's happening around you. I've used the, uh, the regular 360 and, you know, for bass fishing and, and I really thought it was pretty cool. So I'm, I'm definitely excited for that and excited to, uh, to run one of those this year. For sure. Has pan optics become part of your quest as well? Um, the pan optics thing kind of, it's, it's definitely, you know, it's, it's on the radar. I'm kind of hoping that the, 
you know, that the 360 kind of builds, you know, fills that niche for me. But one thing I, I can say about like the pan optic stuff is that, I mean, some of the things that you can see, and I'm sure you've heard rumblings of what have, what have been going on. I don't want to give away like too many people's, you know, other people's patterns and how they've caught a lot of fish. I mean, it's, it's incredible what you can do with it, but you definitely have to, you know, with directional sonar stuff, you, you have to, you know, almost like dedicate and set up your fishing style to that. Um, but it is, it's pretty incredible and it's, it's super neat technology. Some of the screenshots and videos and things that you can see on it are just amazing. It kind of, kind of, you know, makes you wonder what's coming in the future and that, uh, what is it? The new, is it the new perspective view? You know, that's something that I, I think will be pretty cool. I'm kind of excited to see what people, what people come up with there. I agree with you completely. I kind of jumped off topic there, but it does kind of go into the big musky scene as well. Maybe that's a, uh, another, podcast at some point talking more electronics but from here i think maybe what we should do is try to kind of wrap this up maybe you can throw out a tip to everybody that's listening yeah i would say um you know for my my tip is uh you know for actually looking for bodies of water to you know if, if your goal is to target a you know a 55 inch musky you know they they can there's a chance that they can happen you know everywhere and anywhere but the biggest thing is that you want to look at you know, bodies of water that consistently throw out, you know, muskies of that caliber. You know, you want to look at the Great Lakes. When you're looking in Canada, I mean, Lake of the Woods is a, is a wonderful, you know, place to go muskie fishing. It's got great fish. There are big ones that get caught up there. But just an, as an example, you know, maybe looking at a place like Eagle Lake. And, and if you go look at like Andy Meyer's Lodge, where they have 55 inches that get caught out of their lodge every single year. It's just, you know, looking for things like that. Actually look at recent history. The, you know the last few years of fish of that caliber so, i mean that would be my my tip is like i said earlier you literally cannot you can't catch or expect to catch what doesn't exist i think that's a valid point luke hey luke you know one thing on this podcast that we've had is we've had some people they want to talk big fish stories so before we wrap it up why don't you give us a story of one of your biggest fish just kind of talk us through the moment okay well i'll share uh i got three actually kind of I have three really cool stories kind of with this or on this topic. Um, and they all involve uh, catch and release and, and different techniques. But um, I would say, you know, like the biggest fish that, um, that we've ever encountered and, uh, and played with was uh, a fish that we caught in green Bay in uh, 2011. And uh, my friend Chris Jensen caught it with me and him and I were going to kind of a trip that we did forever about a 57 inch musky. I, I want to say we girthed it. I can't remember. It was way around 25 inches. Just an amazing fish. Uh, you know, the only 57 incher that, um, that I've ever, you know, touched or whatever. And we caught that in 2011 trolling. And then in 2013, we caught that exact same musky again. It had a little hook shaped scar on her cheek. And uh, we caught her when she was 58 and a quarter. And uh, Bob Benson and I caught her. Um, 150 yards away from where we caught her three years prior. So that was 2013. So that one was, uh, was really, really cool. Another really kind of cool big fish was up by Vermilion. We caught a, uh, a 56 by 27 trolling in, uh, in November of 2015. And then, uh, the very next, that was on a steep breaking shoreline. And then the very next summer in September, 
uh, my good friend Bruce Wisner caught that same fish fishing with me, casting a, a junior cowgirl about um, three quarters of a mile away from where we caught her in the fall, and it was on a, kind of a little sandy weed shoreline. So that was pretty amazing catching. That was a, a you know fifty-six inch fish to uh, to catch that exact one. That one also had some really interesting scars on it where it was unmistakable, you know, that it was the same fish. And then another cool catch and recapture story was uh, this year on my birthday, I had a, a guest uh, named Norm that caught a 55-incher casting in the open water on a, a baby beaver. Then about 100 yards from that, away from where we caught it, on July 5th, my friend Grant Loden caught the same fish on a baby beaver. Then in on October 12th, I think it was October 12th, the Saturday of our Vermilion Dam fall outing on a, um, on a steep breaking shoreline about a quarter mile away from where that fish was caught in the open water. I caught that same exact muskie again on a supermodel. It was uh, just incredible that a, a 55-inch muskie bit three times last year. But um, that's just, you know, a couple cool, you know, three really cool recapture stories. I think that happens you know, a lot more than, than people think. It. Unfortunately, I think that uh, catch and release is amazing, and that's why we have these, you know, these fisheries that we have, and we have the fish that we have, but these are, they're definitely, a, you know, the, those big muskies are a precious resource, and they don't happen very often. I would agree with that completely, Luke. I mean, big fish aren't created equal. I mean, not every fish is going to make it to that size. Those are incredible stories, and I, I, I appreciate you sharing them, but uh Definitely, we got to take care of them, and I think you're exactly right. Catch and release is part of the equation. It, it's definitely helping. Yeah, no, it's just, and, you know, unfortunately, they don't they don't all get that big, you know. So it's really important to uh, to take care of them and and put them back. And uh, it's kind of funny. I mean, I'm sure you've seen this. A few of the, uh, you know, a few of the really big fish that are out there. You, you, some of them you just see all the time, and you can never get them to bite. You never even get close to getting them to bite. And then you can have one like that one last summer. The thing bites three times <laughs> so it's just yeah it's just one of those one of those crazy things maybe that fish liked the glamour shot luke yeah it could have been definitely a, an amazing fish and uh like i said it was it was obviously my my guest norms it was it's his biggest muskie and uh, my friend grant who caught it it was uh, him and his friend scotty they got it i want to say that was grant's personal best and then um the uh so when i got it in the fall it was uh she had a 26 inch belly so she was definitely the the biggest one you know heaviest one i caught in a couple of years so that was pretty cool that's super sweet um hopefully we can use that picture for the uh social media blast for this podcast how's that sound yeah i'll definitely i'm i'm pretty sure i sent that to you but i'll i'll send it to you again you may have luke i i know you shared it with me but i don't know maybe you did send it to me i have to check my phone yeah, that was the one I got it on the, the black, black supermodel. Sweet, sweet. All right, Luke, I just want to thank you for coming out and taking some time out of your schedule. We know that you, you know, it's difficult sometimes for you guys to break away from, from the day-to-day kids and work and guiding and everything that's going on. So, we, you know, we really do thank you for taking some time out. If somebody's looking to get in touch with you, what's the best way to go about doing that? The best way to get a hold of me is definitely my uh, my cell number, which is I can just, it's 952 Um, you can find my, my phone number in a lot of places, but, um, yeah, that's definitely the, uh, the best way to get a hold of me. I unfortunately, uh, don't have a website or or any of that stuff going on at the moment. Yeah. It's been great talking to you guys. Uh, This has been really enjoyable. It's been fun to 
fun to talk about muskies and just kind of think about other things with, uh, you know, think about fishing with all the other stuff going on in the world right now. But yeah, it's been a great time. It was great catching up with you guys. Yeah, certainly great to talk to you. A lot of knowledge tonight. Maybe we can even do this again sometime this summer, get caught up on, you know, how the season's going and whatever, as long as time allows. I know sometimes in the summer, everybody gets busy, but you know, we'd certainly love to have you on. And I know after listening to this one, our listeners are probably going to be, you know, wanting more from you. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah, I would, uh, I would definitely, definitely love to do that. So it was, again, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. For sure, Luke. I mean, it's always good to, to chat muskies with you. You definitely have uh, what it takes to be a guide. And I love hearing all about the, the different things and the stories you shared. I, I appreciate all of it. Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. So, Brad and Carrie, before we get out of here, you want to talk a little bit about Musky Mayhem Tackle? Uh, you can find Musky Mayhem Tackle at muskymayhemtackle.com. You can find out what's going on from our Instagram page, our Facebook page. There, We have a Facebook group if you want to join the Facebook group. I think those actually reach a few more people than that regular page sometimes. Um, we also have the YouTube channel. And we will have some more videos coming out here in the not-so-distant future. So subscribe to the YouTube channel. You'll be notified when the new ones come out. Am I forgetting anything? Not off the top of my head. For listening to the Backlash Podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Overcast, a bunch of different places you find podcasts. And if you could, if you listen on iTunes, go ahead and give us a rating and review. I know that uh, it's for sure going to be a five-star, but if you think it's only a two-star, then give us a two-star review. Anything uh, is appreciated. We just want to know how we're doing. Speaking of how we're doing, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on either Instagram or Facebook. You could also email us, backlashpodcast at gmail.com. And if you are looking for musky gear for an upcoming trip, assuming that we're able to take them starting the season out, check out teamrhinooutdoors.com. We are a retailer in the musky world that carries a wide variety of products from a wide variety of people. Typically, we you know, are mostly custom, but as of the last year or so, we've started to add some of your black and nickel favorites, black and orange cowgirls, and you know what have you. So if you're looking for the standard stuff that you've always loved or you want some custom stuff, check us out. And once again, we just want to thank Luke for coming out tonight. Luke, thanks again. It's great to talk to you. Hopefully you have a great season and uh, stay safe. Yeah, thanks. Same to you guys.